You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And we'll, we'll be tonight, we're going to start in Second Peter. Well, we'll get to Second Peter in just a moment. Uh, but Second Peter is where we're gonna, going to read first. And, uh, and tonight's message really is a follow-up uh, to what we looked at a, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Last time we were in our series on Wednesday nights um, called Quieting a Noisy Soul. And uh, it's based on a book written by Jim Berg. I, I've attempted, to, as I have read it, just to take some of the biblical truths that he presented and then present them to you on Wednesday nights. And... Now, let me just clarify, too, in that it's not because Jim Berg came up with something new. It's because Jim Berg is able to communicate truth in a way that resonates, but God came up with the truth that Jim Berg is, is writing about. And so, just so you understand, you know, as we go through something like this, um, it, it really all truth is God's truth, as, as I've heard said before and uh, Jim Berg is just able to convey it in a certain way. And it's really more of a Bible study in some ways. Uh, but I hope that you'll forgive me as we go through a different kind of series. Because I do think if you'll stick it out that the help that, you're, that you find in these truths will, will be something that we need. Um, if, if you paid attention on Sunday night um, in studying for the, the series on James. Uh, I, I read some of those statistics about the things that... ...that people uh, are most tempted about. And the very first one, I mean 60% of Americans say that they are most tempted to worry. And that kind of surprised me honestly that that, that would be the number one temptation in many people's minds... That, ...that they would be tempted to worry, that that would be an issue. But as I deal with people or talk to people or just live life around people... ...I have no doubt that those statistics... Are accurate. There is so much anxiety, so much worry, so much fear and anger in people's lives, and I think that these truths are necessary. And when we first looked at the series, we, we read David's own words in Psalm 139 when he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. And the, the Hebrew word for thoughts literally means disquieting thoughts, it means anxious thoughts. And it means that these are the kinds of thoughts that you have um, that keep you up at night. They're, it's noisy thoughts, disquieting thoughts. It's anxious thoughts that kill the quiet in your soul. In Psalm 40, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. And that word horrible literally means to roar like the crash of waves. If you've ever been in, near, in, near the ocean when the waves are high, it's hard to explain how it's so loud. It, it just rumbles through. Well, that's what that word horrible means. And that David, it wasn't literally that David was in a physical pit, but spiritually, emotionally, he was in a pit of despair that was roaring inside of him like the waves of the ocean. And the truth is, his ancient unrest... It was such a loud noise that, that, that he couldn't rest at all. And listen, we all have noise. 
we all have things in our lives that keep us from having peace. And, and we're, we're very good at, at conveying stability sometimes. We're very good at putting on the suit and putting on the, the dress or putting on the clothes or putting on the face that says, I am a stable, mature, resting Christian. But if people could see behind closed doors and see the anxiety and see the nervousness and see the fear and, and the anger and the worry that plagues us, we all have noise, with sounds of anxiety and discouragement. Maybe your noise is bitterness tonight. And I, I'm going to keep dealing with these because we must approach where or self-evaluate where we have the noise. Maybe your noise is hatred towards somebody else for something that they did to you. It may be that your noise is lust and that you're seeking something that you don't have and or it's greed, which is a similar mindset. Maybe your, your noise is guilt because you know what you did. And maybe nobody else sees it, but it keeps you up at night. Maybe your noise is shame because of something that you've done. And you think other people know, they know what I've done or they remember. Maybe your noise is responsibility. I'm telling you, sometimes the noise of deadlines is almost too hard to work past. Because you know what you've got coming up and you know what's due in school and you know what jobs have to be done, Brother Juan. You know, the, I mean, it plagues you sometimes, not Brother Juan. I mean, he seems pretty chill, but for some of us, it plagues us. I mean, we have these things that we know are coming and these responsibilities and these roles and, and the roles sometimes, that's where the noise comes from. There's noise of addictions and noise of entertainment and recreation. We try to drown out the noise with distractions. There's so much noise, but like Brother Samuel said, but Jesus says in John 14, peace I leave with you. He said, my peace I give unto you. He said, not as the world giveth. Like constantly abiding, it very, very much said that. It's not like the world has. They say peace, but that's not this kind of peace. Jesus gives real peace, lasting peace. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He also said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, noise may be natural. It may be loud in our ears, but Jesus makes it possible to live noise free. And I, I thought about bringing up some, some earbuds that I have. They're, they're called AirPods. And I don't know if anybody has air. Do you have your AirPods with you? This would be kind of different. This is, no, never mind. She doesn't have them. So that's good. She doesn't have them in church. Okay, so it's good. Okay, so AirPods, they're, Apple makes them. And I got them for Christmas from Aaron and the kids a couple of years ago. And you know, you put these, they're tiny, little, little tiny white. I mean, if anybody wants to let me stick your AirPods in my ear tonight, I'd gladly do that for an illustration. No? Okay, all right. Some of you are looking grossed out, so I won't do it. Okay. But, you know, they're these tiny little things. And they look very simple. They can't, they really can't be that expensive to make. I mean, I guess the technology is expensive. But, but you put them in your ears and you have three options. And the options are, on your phone, you can set it to be, you can set it to transparency. And if it's on transparency, then you can hear the music or hear what you're listening to 
but you can hear everything else just like there's nothing in your ear. It's, it's a very strange sensation. Or you can set it to be off where it kind of cancels the noise, but, but there's still an ability to hear the noise around you. Or you can set it to noise cancellation. And if you set it to noise cancellation, that's every mother's favorite feature, okay? Because you set the noise cancellation on and whatever you're listening to, you basically, someone can be talking to you and you can see their lips moving, but you don't really hear what they're saying. It really is an incredible uh, work of technology that these little things can make that kind of adjustment. And we're kind of in awe by it, but it's a simple concept. And really, that, that's the truth about Jesus Christ in that we think we have to pay attention to the noise and the noise has to bother us and it's always bothered me and I've always been anxious and I've always been angry and I've always lived with worry. But listen, there's a certain mode and it's called noise canceling. And Jesus Christ gives you the option to cancel the noise and live above the noise. You don't have to be uh, unrested. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be anxious. You may not think it's possible, but I'm telling you it's true. Jesus Christ can cancel your noise. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Basically, he says, come and be like me. Be meek, be humble, and you can find rest. And what we started with last week, two, a couple weeks ago, was here in Second Peter. And I want to read these verses again and give you some more thoughts. Just go back into this with some depth. Second Peter chapter 1. Here, look what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I'd like to preach on that verse. There's a lot of depth and truth right there. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That's the phrase that really stood out is grace and peace be multiplied unto you, he says. So God says there's a way to multiply peace in your soul. Not just to add peace, but to multiply it. Not just have it, but to have it abundantly. I was in the office today, and Mia was in there, and, and she was doing, I don't know, remember what she was doing. She was likely drawing or cutting something. That's what she does during arts and crafts after school. And, uh, and so I, she said she's been, she worked it her way up to, I think in multiplication tables, I think she said maybe up to her fives or something. So it was a big number for, for little Mia. She was very proud of it. And so I asked her a real easy one just so, you know, to not, you know, defeat, have her be defeated. I said, okay, what's two times two? And she looked at me like, you are so clueless. That's the easiest one. It's four. And we were talking about how, how weird it is that two plus two equals four. But two times two also equals four. Boom, mind blown, you know. You know, but, you know, you start to add one number to either one of those and it, and, and it really starts to go up a lot faster. You know, you, you start to, if you add, add a three in there, now it's six. If you add a four, it's eight. And five, it's ten. I mean, my math, I remember my math tables. You know, that's what, God, that's what Peter says. Grace and peace, they're not just added to your life as a Christian. They can literally be multiplied. You can have grace and peace to the multiple level. 
And sometimes we, li- we live like, like we serve an addition Savior, but no, we serve a multiplication Savior. He multiplies the things that he provides for us. He makes it so possible to where we can have life abundantly. And, and Peter says, here's how you multiply grace and peace. Verse 2, he says, through the knowledge of God and of, Lord, of Jesus our Lord. Peter makes it clear the way to multiply your peace is to know the Lord. The more you know, the less noise. And Peter finishes these verses by saying, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life, that's how to have eternal life, and godliness, how to live the Christian life. What's it, how does he end it? How, how is all this possible? Again, look at the end of verse 3. Okay, look down. How does he say it's possible? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So if you were to sum this up, you would say that grace and peace can be multiplied in your life if you know God. Grace and peace are multiplied if you know Jesus Christ. And listen, I know we're Wednesday night crowd here. And and this seems redundant to you. But I don't think we realize how many people have noise. And if that many people have noise, then obviously way more people than we give credit to need to know the Lord better. And listen, this wouldn't be something that we would deal with if nobody ever had noise. If there was nobody in our church that ever had anxiety. If there was nobody in our church that was ever worried about something. If there was nobody in our church that ever had fear. If there was nobody that ever had anger. Listen, that means that you know the Lord as you're supposed to. But I know us. And I know me. And I know that I need to be reminded of what it takes to somehow battle the noise in life. And that somehow is found in the knowledge of God. That's where we start. Turn over to Romans 1. We looked at these verses. And I just want to go through this again real quickly. To remind you of what happens when we ignore what we should be knowing. Romans chapter 1. And last time we looked at the thought that the more we know Christ... Uh, the less noise we have. No Christ, no noise. No Christ, no noise. Tonight I'd like to piggyback off of that concept because it really does contribute to some thoughts that we need. And I want to look at truth about truth here in Romans chapter 1. See, there are some things. uh, The first truth about truth is that there are some things that every man understands to be true based simply off of creation and his own conscience. There are some things that are clearly plain and obvious and and God says we can know some things based simply on observing creation look down in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 for the wrath of God what's the word is what say it again the wrath of God is what revealed does that sound like something that's made possible for you and I to know if it's revealed it's not hidden if it's revealed it's something we can know for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So, okay, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, basically, the idea is that men know that there's a higher power they're supposed to answer to. Men know, and and I'm going to sum it up, and I'll say this again in a minute, so I don't want to get too redundant, but listen, if, if a man in his conscience can look at creation and come to the conclusion that there's a creator. 
then he would also then, the natural next step would be for him to say, if there's a creator, I probably have to answer to him. If there's a creator, then he's, he is sovereign. He rules. He reigns. If he created me, then he's the boss of me. The wrath of God is revealed. There's something in men that knows that there is a, a conscience that says if I, you know, right or wrong is natural in us. You know, we're trying our very best to get rid of right and wrong and say there is no right and wrong. But go, again, I use this illustration for other things too, but go to the nursery and tell me there's not an innate sense of right and wrong. I mean, if there was no innate sense or just inherent sense of right and wrong, then a two-year-old walking up to a two-year-old and taking their toy and walking away with it wouldn't bother the one from whom it was stolen. But the fact that World War III begins when that happens is proof that there is an inherent sense of right and wrong. And nobody had to teach them that. It is inherent because that little, little child, I mean, as, as much of a, of, a, of, a, of a disobedient small little being it is, he or she is, not it, he or she, they are still made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, there is an innate, an innate sense, an inherent sense of right and wrong. The wrath of God is revealed. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. Does that sound like God's trying to hide himself? Does it sound to you like God is trying to keep everything a secret? No, he's made it manifest. Look at verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You can't ignore it being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God. There it is again. They, it, it's possible to know God. You look at creation and your own conscience bears witness that you know there is a God, but they chose, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. If you know and you see something very clearly that is the truth of God revealed and you suppress it, you ignore it, you turn your back on it, it blinds you to it. And that's why those that are, that are non-believers or atheists or you know, against God, that's why they truly believe in their own hearts that there is no God. Because at some point in their lives, they knew, they saw the evidence, they looked at the evidence, and they very deliberately said, I reject that, and now they're blinded. I, I don't doubt that they sincerely believe that there is no God, and that they believe that they are right, but it's because they're blinded. Verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They exchanged. That's the word. They exchanged the truth. The, this truth, this seed of truth was in their heart. They exchanged it for a lie. Look down to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Verse 32. Who knowing, there's the word again, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I'm just telling you today that there's enough evidence in creation and it, and it coincides and works in tandem with our own conscience to tell every person that's alive on planet earth at some point, there is a God and I must answer to him. But the ones that end up like this are those that reject that truth. 
It's clear, the Bible says, clearly seen, clearly understood, clearly known. So that's the first truth about, re- about truth is some things every man understands based on creation and conscience. The second truth about truth is this. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. See, there's a movement. There's a movement now that, that's trying to convince us that my truth, my individual truth, should be accepted as your truth. That what I believe is true because I believe it's true. And I know it's not politically correct to, to make absolute statements anymore, but I said it last time, it's so ironic when people says there, they say there is no absolute truth, they just made an absolute statement. And so by making that statement, they're disproving their own worldview. You see, it, it's a thing now. My truth, my truth is this lifestyle, and you can't tell me otherwise. My truth is, are these choices. No one can tell me what's right or wrong. My truth, I know I was, I was born this way, but my truth says this, and so I am redefining my truth based on what I want to be true. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm, I am in no way hating on the, hating on the sinner. But, but, but that makes absolutely no sense in any other realm of life. It sounds appealing in our individual culture, uh, meaning that the individual is elevated above all else. My truth, it sounds great. But you know, this week I was, I was driving, um, leaving the church and going down 41st. And as I turned onto 41st, there was a, a young man, a teenager, and he had a skateboard. And, and he wasn't using the skateboard um, like you would think a, a young guy would use a skateboard. He was walking. Okay, right? Silly, right, Josiah? If you have a skateboard, ride it, right? He's walking, but he's not just walking. He's literally walking down the middle of the street. So he, he has his skateboard in his hands, and he's just walking. And he, he looked like he was maybe 18 years old. And I was going the other way, and he was walking the same direction but on the other side of the median from me. And so I, I was like, I didn't really register what was happening um, until I was past him and said, what is he doing? And at that point I was beyond him and couldn't really turn because of the median, but he's just walking down the street. And, and so I went and did whatever errands I was running and came back and I came back up 41st, probably 30 minutes later over by Minnesota or Cliff and there he was again. And he's still walking in the middle of the street with his skateboard just like this, just walking. And I mean, I don't know what was going on. I mean, it was sad to see. I don't know what's happening in his mind and, and what, what he's dealing with. But, but in some ways, that's a picture of what our culture is doing when it comes to my truth. Meaning that young man, you know, thinks, well, I'm going to walk right here and nothing's going to happen to me except that doesn't correspond with reality. Remember, we're talking about the truth about truth. It has to correspond to reality. See, the reality is you can believe that you can walk down the street and, and not be hurt, but a three or 4,000 uh, pound vehicle going 45 miles an hour that doesn't see you will dispute your claim to say, well, this is my truth. And that's where we are as a culture is that we'll say, this is my truth, but your truth doesn't correspond to reality. You can say that's true, but it's not true. 
It's not realistic. Therefore, it's not actual truth. And what we learn from Romans 1 is if you claim to have your own truth and go your own way, it's like walking down the street with a skateboard in your hand thinking no one's going to hurt you. But the end of it, it is death. And, and that's where we are as a culture. Truth, for it to be true, has to, be, has to correspond with reality. Another truth about truth is this. Nothing can be true and untrue at the same time. And the example I used last time was that we say God loves the world, but some of us don't believe God loves me. And we're happy with singing uh, God, uh, the love of God, for instance. But, we're, but we don't necessarily get into singing Jesus loves even me. And we get into trouble with noise. Listen, and we'll start to just pay attention because we'll get to this. We get into trouble with noise when we acknowledge the truth of something, but we choose not to believe it. See, that's what happened in Romans 1. Because they looked at the truth about God. And they said, well, it's clearly seen. There is a God. There is a creator. And I must answer to him. But I'm choosing to believe something else. So they see it and they know it's there, but they decide to land over here and they change the truth of God into life and they worship the creature more than the creator. And now what happens, you've got this large gap. You've got a gap between what is reality and what I believe. Okay, are you following? It's pretty simple, but that, that illustration is important. The fourth truth about truth is very similar to that and that is nothing can exist and not exist at the same time. So you can look at the evidence that God exists and deny it. That doesn't change the fact that God exists. It doesn't change the fact that that is still true. Either God exists or he doesn't. If he's all-knowing, he's always all-knowing. Just because you're hiding from that doesn't mean that he's not all-knowing. If he is a sovereign, then he's always sovereign. And your circumstances don't deny that. They don't change that. See, most of our noise problems come when, when, when we have you know, those, those noises. The guilt, the anxiety, the, the worry, the anger, the despair. You name it. Most of those are rooted in the fact that we say we believe something about God, but we actually live over here somewhere. We say there's a God, we say that he's real, we say that he's loving, we say that he's just, we say he's merciful, we say all these things about God, but in our daily life, we don't live as if those are true. And now there's this big gap. There's a gap between what we say is true and what actually exists in our own lives. And what happens, and is the, what happens is the noise tries to fill in the gap. So if I'm over here, what I say about God is over there, but I operate like it's not true, then noise, it's like a vacuum. It fills in the gap between me and reality. It's kind of like driving, if you've ever been to, okay, I just, we just got back from Florida, okay? So I'll use this as an example. In Florida, if you give any kind of space safe distance between you and the car in front of you, then you might as well just forget about continuing to follow that car. Because if there's any space at all, boom! Car right in front of you. So you back up a little bit more because, you know, safe driving distance, they say, four seconds, which is ridiculous, but it's still four seconds. 
If you back up at all, another car, another car, and by the end of your trip, you might actually be back where you started because you're slowing down so much. That's how it was in Florida. We were driving around it. And if you leave any kind of space at all, boom, car right in front of you. Car right in front of you. But you know, that's what noise does in our lives. You see, if there's any gap between us and God, guess what it gets filled with? It gets filled with the worry and the anxiety and the fear and the anger. Because the further we are from God, uh, the more likely and more prone we are to having noise. That's what happened in Romans 1. And that's what happens in our lives too. There's danger, and I'm just going to say it this way, there's danger in unbelief. See, the definition is a belief is what you accept to be true. Many of us, when we were, small, when we were young, we believed in Santa. Maybe some just still do, but it doesn't make it true. And, you know, that may be okay when you're young, but if you're an adult and still believing it, we need to talk. You know, a belief is what you accept to be true, but if you accept things that aren't true, it's going to cause you problems. See, the only safe source of belief is God's word. Everything this book says is true. We're thankful for that. But here's the definition, though, of unbelief. Unbelief is rejecting what God says is true. So let's go back to the Romans 1 example. You've got what God says is true over here and what creation in your conscience. And all of these things point to God being this way. But you're over here saying, but yeah, I know that's what everything points to. And by the way, we have a more sure word of prophecy than creation. We have God's own revelation of himself through his word. So we have very clearly stated all of these things about God that are true. We have these things. But if I choose to stay over here and I leave this gap, this is called unbelief. And this unbelief is so dangerous for a Christian. You say, well, you know, I'm a saved person. But you know, you don't have to be, you can be a saved person, you can be an unbeliever. Now, I know an unbeliever is a lost man who hasn't received Christ as his Savior. But I know plenty of Christians that, that don't practice belief in Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Meaning when they have a problem, they don't trust God for his provision. And when they have an issue, they don't seek him first. And, and when, even though they know what they're supposed to do in life and putting him first, they don't live that way. They don't have a relationship with him as if he is real. It's possible to be a believer but live in unbelief. And we do that. We, and you know, truth is, you don't ever just operate without believing in something. Every one of us believes in something. You either believe in what, what other people tell you or you believe in what you, your own imagination says or you believe in what God's word says. We're all operating based on some system of, of belief. But listen, if we believe certain things, it's going to cause us some problems. I mean, for example, some of us believe, well, you just can't trust anybody, not even God. Based on what, what your life experience has been, you've been through some things. And that may be, maybe those circumstances point to that and they may tempt you to draw that conclusion. But if you say that and you operate that way, that's unbelief in your life because you can trust the Lord. God, some people say, well, God doesn't love me or he wouldn't have messed up my life like this. Well, that's unbelief because it rejects what God has said. You can't formulate what you believe based on life experiences. 
the only safe source of belief is God's word. This always trumps my experiences. We're reading out of Peter this, uh, just a minute ago. Peter himself said, again, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus in his glory. And Peter said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have God's word. Even Peter himself said, my life experiences seem pretty real to me. But when it comes to it, if there is a contradiction between my experiences and God's word, God's word is right. I may think that's what I saw. Well, maybe that is what I saw. But if it contradicts God's word, it's not true. And I, I go with this. It's a more sure word of prophecy. You can have these certain beliefs that you operate by. And if you operate by them, they were going to cause you some trouble. You could say, if I marry a loving spouse and have lots of money, I'm going to be happy. Can you be happy and have a good spouse and have lots of money? Can you be happy that way? Yes. But does a good spouse and money, is that going to make you happy? No, the Bible doesn't say that. So it's unbelief if that's how you operate. There's so many applications, and I hope you can put some of these things together yourself. But we tend to blame our noise and our discomfort on the wrong circumstances or the tough things in our lives. But our noise is not due to circumstances, and it's not due to body chemistry, and it's not due to environment. It's not because of how I was raised. It's not because of my trials, and it's not because of all those things. No, I have noise because I have wrong beliefs about God. That's where the noise comes from. Our belief about God is going to dictate how much noise we have. So I'm just telling you tonight, you must labor and put in effort to find out what is true about God. And according to God as well. So you've got to labor in it. You've got to work hard at it. And then you have to resolutely reject any deviation from what it says while clinging to the things that are true about God. No matter what is happening in your life. This is where people get messed up. And I'm trying to, I'm passionate about it because I've done it and I've seen people do it. But listen, you must resolutely reject anything that deviates from what God says about himself. Because if you accept to be true, something that's not true about God, you're going to have all kinds of noise in your life. And that gap between what's reality and what you believe will be filled in. With all kinds of noise. I mean our own heart naturally wants to go its own way. We like to follow it. But it's like the message on James uh, on Sunday night. There's a constant battle between what I know and how I feel. And when the battle comes down to it. I have to go back to what I know. Not how I feel. If Eve had simply acted on what she knew. And not how she felt. We would have avoided all kinds of heartache. And I just don't think we understand how important this is. You must choose to believe what the Bible says is true if you want to bypass the noise in your life. If you, if you choose to be an unbeliever, you're going to have nothing but noise because life is going to happen. And if you respond based on how I feel but instead of what I know, you're, you'll likely have lots and lots of noise. And I just want to look at an example tonight, Job chapter 42, of a man who went through this, whole, this process himself. Let's, we're going to close here, but we're going to read some verses and look at some truth here. Job chapter 42. This practice of, of Job refusing to deviate from what he knew about God in spite of, of his life circumstances, it, it, it kept him 
from being a castaway, from, being, um, from, from losing the battle in what he faced. See, uh, I, we're going to read it in a minute, but I just want, before we read it, just think about what Job lost. I mean, think about all he lost in one day. Have you ever had a day that just went really bad? Everything you did, no matter what it was, it was a disaster. Now, think about your worst day and multiply it by about a million. And that's what Job went through. He lost his resources. He lost his livelihood. He lost his children. He lost his health. And when it happened, Job said things like, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job was saying, All this tragedy, it doesn't change what God is like. I still trust him. Something else Job said was, When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And he was hanging on to things that he knew were true instead of how he felt. And that stabilized him. But later on in the book, if you read much more, you read the pain of the situation start to having an effect on Job. I mean, I, I, I believe in all this. You know, the Bible says that he sinned not. And, but, but I do think that his perspective got skewed. And, and, and because it just kept going. And, you know, that happens in life. And, you know, things, you think things are going to get better and they don't. The excitement wears off and life happens and, and that relationship doesn't get better or your finances don't get stronger or uh, whatever problems you're having, they seem to get worse. And sometimes it's hard to hang on. And that's what Job experienced. But what did God do when Job said, why? Because he did. He started asking. Well, God, God revealed more of himself. You know, God didn't really ever give Job an answer. You know what God did? God revealed more of himself to Job. He revealed more of himself. He let him get a picture. Basically, he said, stop asking why and ask who. Who's in charge? Who am I? What am I like? That's what you need to be focusing on. And Job's stability was directly uh, proportionate to his willingness to believe what is true about God, no matter how hard life got. So look at Job then, 42, verses 1 through 6. And I want you, as we read this, I want you to think about what Job says. Okay, so look at the words. Job 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, what are the first two words he said? I know. What have you been talking about this whole time that you need to combat the noise in your life? You need what? Knowledge of God. He said, I know that thou, who's thou? God. So I know that thou, the way that Job, very first thing, the very first thing he says, that, that he's come through this really terrible time in his life. But the first thing he says is, I know that thou. My knowledge of God has been increased. I know that thou canst do everything. That canst means you can do everything. Uh, my knowledge of God has been increased. My faith in God has been built. My, my knowledge has grown. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. So the very first thing he says is after this trial, the two characteristics that he points out about God are God is omnipotent, thou canst do everything. And there is no thought withholding from thee. God knows everything. So Job is saying, 
that through this battle, through this trial, his knowledge of God increased. Look at verse 2, or verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not in past tense. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of, my, of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. So you, does it seem like Job has had a revelation? Something that Job didn't know before, he knows now. He says, before my ear heard about you, but now my eye has seen you. In other words, God, my knowledge of you used to be down here before, but now my knowledge of you, it's way up here. He says, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. When God, when, when Job got a glimpse, a deeper glimpse of God, you know, Job wasn't still standing. Now, there was a time in the story that Job essentially stood up and said, I want my day in court. I want, I want my day in court because I know you could read Job 23 a little differently if, you're, if you want. But Job, basically, he said, I know that when I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold. If you read it a certain way, you could almost hear Job saying, I want my day in court because I'm innocent. But after going through these terrible trials and getting a glimpse of God, Job's not saying, I want my day in court now. No, the Bible says that he abhorred himself and he repented in dust and ashes. See, God giving Job a glimpse of himself in the book of Job, it did not make Job more prideful. It didn't make him more, more confident. No, he said, when I finally stopped just hearing about you and I really saw you, now, God, I abhor myself. I'm nothing. See, what turned Job from a self-righteous man to a humble sinner? You know what it was? The knowledge of God. Because the harder your life situation gets, the more you need to know God. And very often in life, when life is hard, the question we ask is why? But really, we need the question we need to be asking is who? Who is God? I may never know why. You may never get an answer why. But if in the middle of your trials, you seek God and find him and know him, and for the first time maybe ever, you have a relationship with him you never had before. You know him like you've never known him. I'm telling you, the whys are a lot less important when you start getting to know the who. The less you know about God, the louder your noise will be. But the more you know God, the less the noise will be. Without knowledge of God, those, those circumstances in life, they're going to crush you. But remember what we've read every week. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. So the things that we face, they are heavy. I mean, I'm not discounting that. I mean, some of the things that you're dealing with in your life, boy, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to deal with those. 
some of the, the life situations that you're facing right now. I wouldn't want to have to deal with it. It's hard. It's heavy. No one's discounting that. Was Job's situation heavy? Yes. But when Christ said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, he was, he was propositioning people that were under burden. He was, he was making this prop proposal to people that were being crushed. And that were dealing with things that, that seemed far too great for the average person to have to bear. But he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You know what, Jesus, when he makes this offer um, to help you with your noise, he knows, your no he knows it's noisy. He knows it's crushing. He knows it's hard. But those are the people he makes the offer to. And he's making the offer to you tonight. Because he, he, sees, he sees the ones in here that stay up half the night worried about something. And he knows the ones in here that have anxiety and you start to panic about things. He knows. He sees the one in here who's angry about something that somebody did to you years ago and it still lingers. He, he knows the, those of you in here that are worried about your finances and you just don't see how the ends are going to meet. You don't see it. He knows that. You know, when he came and made these offers, he wasn't calling the people that had it all together. He was calling the ones that were under the load of a crushing burden. And so the hope tonight for you is you may not ever know why. But if you'll stop focusing on why and turn your attention to who, that's when the noise starts to be canceled. All that noise, all that roaring, Jesus can cancel it in your life. You know the first noise-canceling device? It was not Apple. Actually, an Apple caused the noise. Okay, that's a bad joke. No, the first noise-canceling device wasn't put out by Apple and Bose didn't come up with it. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood and looked at a crowd of people that were burdened down and being crushed. And he says, I can, I can silence the noise. I can cancel the noise that you're dealing with. If you'll just come unto me, all you that are laboring and heavy laden, listen, we can cancel it. You know where it starts, though? It starts just like Job. We're in the middle of the life difficulties. You don't keep searching for a way out. You don't keep searching for why. But instead you turn your attention to God and you say, God, now I know. And really all the reasons why, they seem a lot less important now that I've seen how powerful you are. And all the reasons I was searching for, they seem a lot less important now, God, that, that I know how, how much you know. God, all those things that seemed important to me just a few days ago, Lord, they're not important anymore because now I know you more. And the noise is finally starting to be alleviated. Just telling you, if you want to get rid of the noise, it's time to know the Lord. And there may be somebody in here tonight and you say, I'd love to, lo I'd know, love to know the Lord, but maybe you've never met him in the first place. You know, you can't alleviate noise until you meet Jesus. So I'm telling you tonight, you can have the knowledge of Christ in the truest sense. You come to him as a sinner, 
and say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. I deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. I know that's what I deserve because the wages of sin is death. But God commendeth his love. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I know I should have been there, but Jesus died in my place and he paid for my sins. And so, God, I, find, I gladly accept his payment because I have literally no other option. So I come to you broken and guilty and I accept your payment for my sins on the cross. And I place my faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You can do that tonight. I don't want to pretend in a Wednesday night crowd that there's not somebody here who's wondering about that. Listen, if you want to know the Lord, that's where it starts. And then for the Christian who's burdened down, I'm just telling you, Jesus made an offer a long time ago and said, I'll help you carry the burden, so why are you still carrying it? It's not, it's not your job to figure out why. It's your responsibility to figure out who. That is your job. To know God like nothing else in your life that's where we turn if you want grace and peace to be multiplied. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.